Let's be independent together. Yes. Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid. I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky. I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Well, we have another podcast on its way here. Yay. And, as is sometimes the case, we are in the same room. Yay, again. So I think in our season of recording podcasts, we've been together three or four times, maybe once over Christmas, although I'm not sure if we recorded Yeah, we did. I think it's four. And then in Indiana, and here I am in New York. Yay, Mom came back to New York. It is the week of July 4th, 2018. 19. Oh, I don't know. 19. Gee whiz. 19. It's been three months, effectively, at least, since we've... April, May, June, since I've seen you. Since we've seen each other and since we've podcasted. Yes. So this is going to be a life update podcast, and it's just going to be a lot of, what have we done lately? Well, you were busy in the past month doing something new, and I was busy doing something new. So what have you been doing? Well, I had... In the past three months. Three months, yeah. I had uh, a three-month dance intensive at Broadway Dance Center, right in town, famous studio, and it was incredible. I learned a lot, and I grew a lot, like, physically just getting stronger, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it was a three-month-long program of, like, 18 hours a week, which on top of 40 to 50 hours of work was quite a lot. So I stopped auditioning, I stopped our podcast, I stopped Comfy Karaoke, the YouTube thing that I do, like I kind of stopped all of it because I don't think I sat down for three months. You kept Wisdom Wednesdays as you were transiting between Broadway Dance Center and your work. I did keep Wisdom. <laughs> I, every Wednesday I do a little quote from someone on Instagram, and it is easy to do on the train. And, it, yeah, it's just the least labor-intensive, so I can keep it up. And I'm noticing them now. You know, anytime I see a quote board or I hear something that I really like, I write it down so they're easily accessible. Yeah, and I took my first college class since I was in college. Since college? Many years ago, more years ago than you. At least, yeah, right. At least (laughs) more than 22 years ago. years ago. And um, I passed. I got an A. Yay! Yay. You got an A. I got an A. I figured out how to look for the notes and understand what the teacher was looking for, which is part of the college process. I'm so. so proud of you. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think I told you this while you're taking the class. Very little of college is the actual learning of the knowledge, it feels. It's like all of the strategy of how to take a college class. And taking an online college class is fully different. It was very different. I felt quite antiquated when I first started. And even though I've seen our your sister, Audrey, take online classes because she homeschooled for years... And I kind of knew how that worked. The college class worked a little bit differently. There was never any live time, but there was a, a whole load of reading that I had to do. And then there was many places on the website that I had to look. And there was one time, my last week of class, that I forgot to look one place. And I completely missed an assignment, which was really frustrating because I never missed any other assignments. <laughs> you worked so hard. and You were such so. an A student about all of it. Far more than... I guarantee all other college students. 
Yes. Well, I enjoyed the subject matter. It was called The Lifespan of Human Development. And I've been teaching a parenting class this year, and I'm going to teach two parenting classes next year. So all about uh, the, the developmental stages. And so this fit right in. In fact, I liked my textbook so much, which was the 13th edition, the most updated edition, I asked the director of our parent education program if she would buy the textbook because I thought it was so valuable. It fit in all the things that we talk about and value as teachers of the parenting classes. So she did. That's all, awesome. All, all the teachers are looking at the chapters on their developmental stages now. Oh, wait. So you're not just using it for your class. You, you got it to be bought for the whole school? Yeah, the whole parent education program, which is um, prenatal through college, they're all going to, all the teachers of all the different life stages are going to look at their chapter and use it. And I, since I've read pretty much the whole book, I can pull from it for the special needs, exceptional children section. Yeah, that's extra helpful too, because you do have a specific section that isn't age specific. Yeah. So you get the context of the whole book. That's really great. That gives the whole school a, a vocabulary to talk about things. Yeah, and it's current with the most current brain research and psychological research, which uh, the program kind of prides itself on being research-based parenting, mm-hmm. brain brain research. So As you read all of the stages of development, which one was the most fascinating to you? Um, I would say how they break down the stages. Like, there's a psychosocial crisis in every stage, and there's a core pathology, and um, a, a kind of a resolution. And so when I learned about what the, the labels that they gave to those, I think the psychosocial crisis has of... of um, toddlerhood has to do with autonomy versus shame and guilt, mm. which I was amazed that that came in so early in life. And I thought, autonomy, you know, toddlers, what? They're not The two-year-old, mom, I'm independent. <laughs> um, so that was really surprising, but it kind of, of course, it takes me back to my own parenting and like, oh, when were my children bidding for autonomy when mm. I was like putting too much control in their life and they might immediately flip to shame and guilt instead of feeling autonomous and you know like what little changes could I make to do that differently obviously I don't have toddler anymore but uh thinking about that so that was really interesting and then reading the chapter on later adolescence I have to say really made me chuckle because this particular book the um, authors of the book said we in our psychosocial um, developmental uh, plan have decided to add two stages to Erickson's original seven stages. Two. Now we have nine stages. So one of the stages is later adolescence and one of the stages is later adulthood. So they have Mm. or middle adulthood and then later, el- elderhood, they call it, I think, is that added one. So the, as you get older, the stages of the age years get bigger and less um, specific, but they have broken them down. So what they said about later adolescence is they, they started the chapter out by saying, 
It is not um, emerging adults, as the culture would like to call it. It is later adolescence, and they listed five reasons or so why um, it's not emerging adults, and because they were saying these are the characteristics of adults. What was the age range for that one? 18 to 24. So when you told me about this, I was actually offended. <laughs> I don't get offended often. I'm not a person of, uh, what would you say, like, uh, confrontation in that way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very happy to play, like, look into the soul of the person you don't agree with. But for, like, a whole day, I was, like, emotionally offended by this. And I think in the moment, it was, like, what? I just don't want to have to bear the, um, uh, the flippancy of adults the way that high schoolers do. Mm. Because there's a thing that I felt as a high schooler of, like, oh, you're just so young. We're not really going to take you seriously. And all I wanted to do was probably still want is like just to be taken seriously and to be listened to in a way that I feel matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in the long run, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you personally, like what the textbook is saying mm-hmm. about my brain isn't fully developed mm-hmm. until I'm 25. I guess you can say then that I wouldn't be an adult until I'm 25. Uh, I'm a month and a half, a month away from being 23. <laughs> so I'm still an adolescent. It's terrible. Oh, it's like God. the worst. It's like being doomed. It's terrible, terrible news. Well, the, they listed like concrete things that don't like come into play so much now. Even That's the thing. Adults. I know this is the most recent book, but also those five things were like, they still felt antiquated to me. Like, you had to be married, and you yeah. had to be financially stable as in, like, owning a house. Like, no, and I live in New York. No one's going to own a house. No, I don't think it said that, but financially independent. Yeah, financially independent, for sure. Um, you remember Which what the is others most, were? most people are not. Financially independent, owning a house, being married. Yeah. Uh, not owning a house. Let me sorry. tell you. Yeah, not financially owning independent, house. being married. Um, I don't remember what the other three things are. It's kind of tricky because as someone who desperately wants to not be a teenager, (laughs) which obviously, like, I know I'm not, but adolescent, those things become uh, synonymous quickly. It, I would be inclined to look at the five things I need to be, like, thought of as an adult based on this textbook and get those things. But nothing, I'm just going to put these words in your mouth, nothing in you as a mom is going to condone me getting married in order to feel like an adult. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, uh, wrong decision there. Yeah. So, that's a little tricky for me. I hate having to wait for that. Yeah. But having, I think one of the things that mentioned was, like, do you have your own insurance and all right, of those right. things? And now kids get their parents' insurance until they're 26. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, you're not. You're a long way from being totally financially independent. Yeah, we do know people who are. We have family friends whose three boys moved back to the United States after living overseas, and in order to go to school in state and get in-state tuition, 
they have to be financially independent for three years, and they are scraping along. By yeah, the, by the skin of their teeth. Skin of their teeth, and they have to work full time, and they have to um, you just take JC classes, community college classes. But they're, it's kind of like they know they're paying their dues and yeah. living by themselves or with roommates. And, um, yeah. Yeah. We have maybe we've contributed to your later added adolescence because we've said, here, we'll so help you. You have. You have. Here and there. And yet, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very thankful for that. I wouldn't take it away. So <laughs> then maybe I'm okay being an older adolescent. I don't know. A later it does adolescent. remind me of Rachel on the first Friends episode where they made her cut up her dad's credit card. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> you don't use our credit card. But you don't Anymore. have a credit card right now. No. But you can access. You can use I can ask Lyft. you for money. And your yes. my Lyft account is on dad's and credit card. And we transfer money. And we help subsidize your rent or yeah. your dance classes, whichever you use it for. Right, what I... Or yeah, your grocery right, right, bill. Right. We give you a little subsidy. Uh, yeah, you give me money for groceries when you're here. I feel that that's more of a gift than we anything give else. You a monthly subsidy, though. No. Yeah, we, we have been for six months. That's for rent. That was... Mm-hmm. If you listen to our December podcast... <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a thing in that for rent specifically. Yeah. I... I wasn't thinking about that the same way because yeah. you used to put like an allowance through college in my bank account and that is not oh, there anymore true. and I'm not thinking about it that way. You yeah. know, like I don't depend on it that way. Anyway. Yes. Interesting. So. Yes, that was a very enlightening class to think about and to hear what other people are thinking about and going, oh yeah, they're all examining yeah. their um, things. And that, uh, a core, a prime adaptive ego quality or core pathology, those are the things. Like, so in health, this is your prime adaptive ego quality. And in not so good health, you have a core pathology that you turn to, which is not healthy. Those were kind of labels of. A prime adaptive ego quality? <laughs> I don't know what I those can't words mean. I can't all out, but. Um, an ego quality. Like, my ego? Like, how much I. No, okay. not your, no, you know, like you have your e, id, your ego, and your oh, ego. Oh, 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 different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that is deep into the psychology of things. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Did you find yourself uh, thinking back to your own experience as a human growing through each stage or more to your parenting, other humans? Mostly it was to my parenting, but when I did the assignments, we had to respond with a personal oh, anecdote. Oh, for yourself. So I had to, like, roll back the tape, push rewind. <laughs> what was my life like in college? And it was really enlightening. And one assignment I interpreted differently than what the teacher had asked for. And he gave me a comment back, and he said, this is a very sweet story, but this isn't actually answering the prompt. You were talking about your marriage, and I was asking you about your career. And I was like... That is my career. (laughs) (laughs) He said, if you listed homemaker as your career, then that would have, you know, been the right direction to go. And that, like, concept had missed me because the the two events conflated in my mind were the marriage and then the career path. Because you got married pretty much out of college. I got married a year and a half later. And you got... I guess you had me three years. You had three years of a career while you were married. But see, here's where 
in my mind, it wasn't a career. And it's something that I've been learning about. And I've just, like, come to a new awareness about even about the way my mom and dad, and especially my dad, talked to me. Mm. As I listened to how other dads talk to their daughters. Um, And I've just realized, oh, um, yeah, I never... I never settled on a career. Yeah. I settled on jobs. Okay. So, um... Because your dad talked to you in a way that, like, didn't make you think of being capable of a career? Or... Oh, no. No, no. They... My mom and dad had definite opinion of what I should do. They thought I should be a teacher or in human resources, my dad thought. And... Truth be told, that is true. I would be good at teaching <laughs> you are right. or human resources. But in my heart and in my understanding of who I was in college and right out of college, I didn't want to do either. All I knew about human resources was, um, like, hiring and firing people and filling out, like, paperwork like that. And if I had known if it was more, like leadership development kind of stuff where it could have gone that direction I would have jumped on it yeah but I didn't understand it and I really wasn't curious enough at that time to explore it and I didn't want to I had been like what you know 14 15 16 years in school I didn't want to turn around and go right back to school it didn't really appeal to me although as I've as a parent gone and been a TA I learned that, um, you know, teachers are kind of chiefs of their own little kingdom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they have so much power. And I'm like, oh, I understand why people like this. Um, So that was really enlightening to me. But the message, my big enlightenment I'm sharing with you, is um, recently I heard two women talk about in separate settings about how their dads always said, you can do whatever you want. And I sat back one night, and I was like, I didn't hear that message. Wow. And I don't fault my mom and dad or my dad or blame them or anything. I'm kind right. of, like, over that. But um, And thinking about my dad's life and my family ancestry and culture duty was very important very in beautiful. my family ancestry yeah. going all my family ancestry is all British Isles mm-hmm. and German and um, if you look at the people in England you know duty is huge to them yeah like kind it, of honor and military yeah it's it was conveyed all the way down very much strong with my dad and so and my dad had a learning disability, and I think that, I don't know that he would say this out loud, but he he knew that he had struggled with reading, he talks about that now, and um, he might have decided in college that he couldn't do everything, not Mm, everything was open to him, he, I know he started law school, but then he decided not to, and he decided to stay in business, but he didn't want to, um, do insurance, right, or which sales. was like the only thing available where he lived, and so he liked the aerospace industry, so he kind of did business in the aerospace industry, but I don't know that he believed that he could do anything, and then my mom and dad both also had a very traditional 
very traditional life. Men and women mindset about women's roles and men's roles. So when I came up with ideas about things, um, well, unlike you. Yeah, uh, 100%. <laughs> I wanted to be a musical theater major. Yeah. And my dad kind of gently said to me, maybe you could make that an avocation. So um, way back then I wanted That's to go to pretty amazing. City University. Just where it's still... Which we, we literally looked at. Yeah, it's a big school these days for musical theater. Um, so that wasn't an option for me. And then um, a year and a half into college, I wanted to be a physical therapy major. Mm. And my mom and dad both had blank stares on their faces. And I don't think if I had pushed it, they would have said no. But they didn't really support it. And I think, you know... And I you... Did. Yeah, your spirit, as far as I know you, isn't the one to be like, but I'm gonna... You know, you're, like, right. very sensitive to wanting to do something that pleases them. Yes. I look for approval. Yeah. And we've talked about the Enneagram and things like that. I kind of need that um, approval from people and security. Yeah. My funny story is that... Um, when I wanted to run a marathon, I had really determined I wanted to do that. And I was kind of gruff about it. I said to my mom and dad, I want to run a marathon and I want your support. <laughs> <laughs> I was very seldom that definitive about something I wanted. So my dad, being the concrete person that he is, went out and bought a gallon-sized powdered container of Gatorade. Mm. And he set it down on the counter and he said there do you feel supported <laughs> and I did but it was kind of funny it was like yeah. it was a little tense tense and, and awkward for both of us but yeah. um but we you know we're trying to communicate in the best way possible with right. each other and um so yeah but so I kind of feel like I meandered for many years not knowing what I want, not having, I didn't really have a career because I hadn't really decided yeah. on what I wanted to do and what I really valued spending my own money on when it wasn't my parents spending their money after mm-hmm. I got married. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so that was my long story. That's so about, interesting. Yeah, self-reflection. Yeah. I, got. I mean, I learned a lot about you and you telling that story. And I do, I have a deeper respect and the deep appreciation for you and dad the more that I think about your story and the way that you turned around and like quite literally gave to me what you were not given mm-hmm. in the like the big dream for the really vapid thing, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to do musical theater. Okay. Yes. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, the words are not particularly important about like, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what I remember at least dad saying a lot was you are so smart Mm. um you are smart enough I guess to do anything I don't really and and he would sometimes in other words like he would in dad's wonderful maximizer way use hyperbole in places where like Mm -hmm. I went I got into the private prep high school that I ended up going to which is like up there but not the top top tier Mm -hmm high school it wasn't Flint Road prep Mm -hmm. which I didn't apply to because I didn't expect to get in because Mm -hmm. I'm a dutiful homework student but I'm not gonna get an A on every test I'm just gonna get an A in the class because I've done every homework assignment (laughs) and dad said when I got into Maranatha yes (laughs) 
uh, when I got into Paranatha, I remember Dad saying, "You could have gotten in. You would have gotten into prep if you had applied." Mm. Just, just as the proof that I was the you know queen of the world. I don't know on top of it all, and I totally rolled my eyes, going, "All right, Dad, I'm a little dyslexic. I'm not great at tests. Like, let's be real here." <laughs> but I also really appreciate that sentiment and how clear it's been through my whole life. Supportive. Yeah. 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 To put in the work. So thank you. You're welcome. For that. For taking that and gifting it where you were not gifted it. Hmm. Yes. Yes. And this three months, I took that gift and uh, and the actual financial gift you supporting me even further to... And my parents, actually. Cause actually, we, we that's true. your leftover college tuition funds, which both of us, my parents and we have uh, saved for for you to take this dance intensive at Broadway Dance Center. It's interesting being one generation removed. I think my parents are like, this is exciting. How long is this going to last? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time I talk to Grandma, she's like, do you want to move to Colorado yet? <laughs> How long are you trying to go to Broadway? Like two months into living here, her, mm-hmm. her letters to me were like, I don't understand this. Why, don't, why aren't you in a show yet? You know, like not mm-hmm. in a shameful way at all. Just like, she just had no concept of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me to be like, no, Grandma, like, the long game means probably a decade, you know? Like, mm. It could be 10 years. Mm-hmm. And her stepping back and being like, oh, okay. You know, there's like a very different concept there. But they are still supportive. And mm-hmm. what a blessing that I went to a college that was cheap enough in all the ways that it mm-hmm. ended up working to you have this extra money, money left over. Yeah. Cause I went through about six months of auditions here mm-hmm. and just really looked around and said, first of all, I'm going out for way too many dance calls because oh. everywhere else I'm a great dancer. Uh, but not when I'm standing next to the literal rockets mm-hmm. <laughs> who are also in my dance calls. I have to go in as a singer, sing me first. And decide you like that I that I'm a singer. Decide that you think I'm a 15 year old and I'm be good for your high school show. Then you can dance me and realize that I move well. Um, well that's good to learn. Really good to learn. And I had that inkling before this show, this this program. But now I like, I do fully know that, and I can accept that. Uh, but your dance chops are a lot stronger than they used to be. Yes, the things that I learned at this dance school. Um, pretty much like was to accept that, to know that I, I can always, there's always room to grow and I can work on my dance to get it better and better and better. But without the money and time to train like an Olympian, I'm not going to be as good as the person that's danced since they were two. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just, there's no way that I, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come in with the same kind of pullbacks and tap class as the kid that's been doing it in Mm -hmm. competition since they were eight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this program was 12 classes a week. It's the training program. Uh, there was a three-month version, a six-month version, and a year-long version. Hmm. I did the three months. Um, and I chose a, play, a path. Because Broadway dance has everything. So you could choose a track. That's what I was looking for. The hip-hop track, the street styles track, the, mm. the ballet track, whatever. I chose the musical theater track, 
surprise, surprise. <laughs> Which means I had to take at least five classes in either tap or theater dance, and then the rest I could, and two ballet classes, and then mm-hmm. the rest I could pull together. And because of my very tight schedule working full-time, which almost no one else did, because mm-hmm. most of them are from other countries like, coming in to study, uh, I had to take compact classes three in a row. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can take three in a row is their, their rules, which is good for like the physical health of our bodies, yeah. was to take uh, two heavy classes, mm-hmm. hour and a half full-on dance classes, and one uh, lighter class in between, like, yo- like only an hour long yoga or stretch or Pilates, something like that. Hmm. Truly, I think Pilates is the thing that is the mo- was the most helpful of those three months, hmm. even though it wasn't an actual dance class. I learned a ton in ballet, for sure, uh, which will help with the vocabulary in an audition setting mm-hmm. and just, like, the balance of being able to do things correctly or at least closer to correctly. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in my theater classes about how to not wake myself out because mm-hmm. most of it is in my brain and I just keep thinking and that's the death of me. Hmm. But... Going to Pilates two to three times a week was so much more strength training. Hmm. And be doing it in the dance room, our teacher would connect it. And so we'd be laying on the floor, like sucking in, uh, relaxing our ribs and sucking our stomach in and doing all those like deep ab work things. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, so this is what it's like to be on Releve. Oh. And I'm like, oh. So then I'd be standing in ballet class going, okay, what did I do when I was laying down? Okay. And I'd figure it out from Pilates and I truly think that's what helped really get there. That's so cool. Don't they talk about how, um, is it Sandy Duncan that took Pilates to get ready for Peter Pan? Oh, I'm sure. Well, I learned that Mr. Pilates, who created mm-hmm. Pilates, was best friends with George Balanchine. Uh... And George Balanchine said, I need something for my dancers. They can't just lift weights. That needs to be like a lengthening strength effect. Mm-hmm. And Pilates said, let me create something for you. Pretty much. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, well, that's been our journey for the past three months, years in theater dance and mine in developmental psychology. It's been an exciting three months. Here we are. Congratulations. Congratulations to to you. Handshake. Yes, indeed. Hug. High five. Hug. You're welcome, listeners, for all the times you get a real high-five sound in this. Yay! I don't, I don't think those are the ones that I'm going to, like, dub over in something else. It'll just be a real <laughs> high-five. That's right. All right. I love you, Mom. I'm I glad that you. we're here together. Me too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. That's hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.